Hey guys. Uh, Hello. We have become death, the destroyer of podcasts. Um, go watch Oppenheimer, by the way. Um, welcome to another episode of the MSL podcast, 21st episode. I'm your host, Mark Yanicelli. And I'm Amalia Wampa. And I still don't like saying that because my name feels so, my last name feels so weird and goofy to say in a string. But I hope. Well, I mean, it's, it's it, it could be worse. You could be Amalia Wonka. And that would be like. Well, it basically is because everyone just calls me that anyway. So I might as well just embrace it. But yeah. Oh, most yeah. people don't even say your name right. So that's true. My first name, yeah, it's a priority. Um, but yeah, um, we're kind of like the Prometheus of podcasts. Like we gave you one amazing podcast episode one day, and now you just can't have enough of it. Oh, like <laughs> like we gave humanity the best worst thing ever. Our podcast. It's just too good to stop listening. Um, you definitely a a Greek mythology kid. No, I'm I'm much more on the Roman side, Roman Catholic. Oh, you were into the. Oh, <laughs> All right. Well, why uh, didn't I elaborate on the question anymore? Um, but yeah, you know how how have you been, Amalia? Um, I've been great. Busy, busy time here in New York, uh, and Philly, and New Jersey, and Massachusetts. I've been going to a bunch of different states. She's to... a talker. Honestly, I should be at this point because of the amount of time I've spent in my car with the Dunkin' Cup to my side. And now I have the cup holder extender. So I actually have three cup holders right by my dash that I can just fill it up and throw the one in the trunk. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. Your car lot. must be a marvel in terms of like all the Dunkin' Cups that are back there. It's pretty bad. I also have this like skinned mink that I bought at this Renaissance Fair for $10. That I was like, wow! I just can't believe this is here. It was, it's like, it's like a taxidermy coat, and I have it on my my dashboard. Anyway, how are you, Marco? I'm great. Um, but I'm like ecstatic about the fact that like we just we're just about to put out like an amazing episode of the cast right now. Right, the cast is stacked for this episode, guys. Yeah, this is this might be my favorite episode so far in terms of how we go in depth into a lot of the things that are going on in the industry. We talk about your careers. We talk about um, looking for the right people and networking. And we also talk about, you know, key insights. And when, when you're our age, when you're in college, talking to people who are experts is the best thing ever because they help you prepare a skill set that's going to help you excel in the, in the industry. So, you know, True. you're, Glad to welcome Jeff Nelson, and by the magic of editing, the interview is going to start right now. Hey guys, uh, thanks for joining us for this interview section of the podcast. We're joined by Jeff Nelson from Navigate. He's the president. Um, for the context, Navigate is a consulting firm that's uh, driven by, by data and adds value to brands all over the country and the sports world to help them perform a lot better and change the industry. Um, so, Jeff, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Great to be here. Um, so, first of all, you know, we want to introduce you and there's no better person to, to introduce you than yourself. So um, could you tell us a little bit about, you know, your interests 
and um, like your your career so far and your life so far in a way? Yeah, sure. Uh, I am originally from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I live there now. I never thought I would live back where I grew up, but here we are. Um, I was on the East Coast for a while, first in D.C. I went out to school at GW and studied journalism, and I was then a sports writer for five years. That that was the dream job, uh, probably from the age of like 12 or 13, when I first started getting Sports Illustrated, um, which back then was the kind of pinnacle of sports writing and feature writing and always kind of dreamed of working there. But by the time I was a sports writer, which was in the mid to late 2000s, uh, the industry was not doing very well. And I was not loving it enough to kind of grind it out as the industry figured out how to monetize the internet. Um, and so I went back to school, uh, got a master's in sports administration at Northwestern. And uh, while networking like crazy around Chicago, met AJ Maestas, who is the founder of Navigate, and started there as a intern uh, 13 plus years ago, and thought it would be six months, and thought I would then uh, go intern for the Cubs, the White Sox, or the Bears. Um, but instead, uh, loved the work that Navigate was doing, the diversity of work, loved the culture that AJ had created and loved that it was small and that I could kind of have my fingerprints on who we were and where we were going and what we were doing. Um, and so through hard work and good timing, I uh, was fortunate that they wanted to keep me. And, and now, uh, 13 plus years later, I, I haven't left, although as I noted, uh, I was in Chicago and six years ago, moved back home to Milwaukee, uh, had two kids very quickly. And uh, all of a sudden that changes kind of the priorities in certain ways and where you are. But um, yeah, been been at Navigate 13 years and, and still love it. Love the place, love the people, uh, love our interns, Marco. Um, but I think that is, that's my story in a nutshell. Uh, but happy to answer any, any more if I, if I didn't cover everything. Wow. I mean, that's just really cool. Cause you don't often see success stories like that, where, you know, like, I guess you could say sort of the bottom of the ladder intern just rises up into the top of the company. Um, one question I had about your journalism career, a lot of people, or at least students that I know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a double journalism major. Um, and sport okay. management, but I never went to journalism with the goal of kind of writing about sports. It kind of came after I also learned about sport management. So when you first went into journalism, was it to become a sports writer or did you kind of like just fall into that after you learned about Navigate? No, I, I, I mean, I wanted to be a sports writer. Um, that was what I went to school for. Well, I should say I went to school because I wanted to work in the newspaper business and eventually maybe the magazine business. Um, and I wasn't sure if I wanted to cover politics or sports. And that's part of why I went to GW and DC. And I quickly learned that if I spent a day talking about politics and interacting with other 
uh, students who are interested in politics. And if I watched CNN at night, um, I went to bed uh, with a lot of restless turmoil. And if I talked to people about sports all day, and if I watched ESPN, uh, and if I read about sports all day, uh, I went to bed with a smile on my face. And so that helped crystallize for me that I wanted to work in sports. And again, at the time, to be a sports writer. Um, and I think it stuck with me even when I realized as I was a sports writer for about five years uh, after college, um, even as I realized maybe journalism and, and being in newspapers was not where I wanted my career to go, I think I knew that I wanted to stay in sports, that I just, the passion I have for the industry, it's just hard for me to imagine doing anything outside of sports. I'm very fortunate that it's worked out for me the way it has. And you, you like your story is a perfect example of the fact that you don't have to have everything figured out by your early 20s or maybe by your late 20s to be successful because not uh, at all. putting all that pressure on yourself to think that I, by this age, I need to have this, this, and this. You don't know if you're going to make a mistake by just like pushing yourself to pursue a career that's not for you. And um, what I really no, want to ask is how did you make it successful transition from journalism and the skills that you learned there to business and sports? Yeah, well, you're spot on, Marco. And I think if there are other students, masters, undergrad listening to this, it's such an important point that uh, it's okay. It's certainly great if you have that dream job and you want to plot out your path toward it. But um, I would say if you don't, don't worry about it. And even if you do, uh, I would say stay kind of nimble in your mind about where things could go and that really what you need to do is find work you enjoy with people you like. Um, and there's actually plenty of research out there that job satisfaction is more tied to how much you like your coworkers than how much you like the job you're doing. And I think that makes some intuitive sense, right? We, we've all been um, doing something maybe we enjoy, but with people we don't necessarily love, and that can be really taxing and hard. But you can be doing a menial task and be doing it with your friends and and have a great time. And so uh, if you can find both, right, something you enjoy doing with people you like, just kind of let that take you wherever it takes you. Um, and you'll find probably a lot of job satisfaction. And um, it could you could end up like I have in a place you never would have expected in your early 20s. And in all honesty, probably happier than you ever expected. Um, so that being said, your question around kind of how I managed the transition, um, for me, a big part of um, going from journalism to the sports side or the business side of sports, I did not want to be pigeonholed as like a PR communications person, which tends to be what you'd expect if somebody's been a journalist and is now trying to work for a team, let's say, or a league or somewhere in, in sports business. And so 
that was part of why I went back to school. And then as I was preparing to move from DC to Chicago uh, to start the master's program at Northwestern, I probably sent a hundred plus cold emails to people in and around the sports industry, especially in and around Chicago and the Midwest, basically saying, I've been a sports writer. I'm going back to school to get onto the business side of sports. Um, I'm really interested and passionate in how data and analytics are influencing the business side of sports. Uh, I'm not writing to you to ask for a job or an internship. I would just love to be able to buy a cup of coffee and pick your brain about uh, your career path and uh, what, what advice you would have for me. And I tried to keep it as short as I could, right? Because if you are reaching out to people, especially if it's cold outreach and they see there's like four paragraphs or more with your life story, they're just not going to read it. Um, so I tried to keep it really short. I tried to emphasize that I just wanted to pick their brain. And that that opening part about the fact that I was really interested, interested in data and analytics, I was trying to ensure that they wouldn't just say, oh, yeah, come talk to our PR person. Um, and I mean, again, I sent so many, I probably had two dozen people respond, which was even more than I thought. And then I was just willing to go anywhere at any time. And again, do what I said, right? Not go in asking for the job or internship and come prepared with research about them and their career and questions, uh, that I thought they would enjoy talking about but also uh, advice that I could get for me. And again, that, that really worked out better than I could have expected. And there were a few people, starting with Mike Singer, uh, who's a great guy who's, who's had a really interesting career, but he was one of Navigate's first interns. And he said to me, based on your interests, I think you should meet this guy, AJ Maestas. And I think Ted Phillips, the president of the Bears, who I had breakfast with at 6 a.m. in Libertyville, Illinois, uh, I think he also brought up Navigate and um, reached out to AJ. They invited me to a happy hour, tried to do networking as best I could within that happy hour and within the people at Navigate at the time and landed an internship. And then from there, it was just, again, um, trying to always go above and beyond on kind of everything I was asked. And, and really, it, it comes naturally to me, and so I'm fortunate. But the advice I give our interns, and Marco, you've heard this from me, is like, don't be a wallflower, right? I wasn't a wallflower. Like, there was a topic. I asked a question. I added my perspective or my opinion and just tried to contribute in every way I could. And, and again, it, it was very fortunate for me that it was the right place and the right time with the right people. And it led to something full time, but, um, hopefully some of those like key ingredients in there and inevitably I'm going to talk about networking 10 times with you guys, but the networking and that approach of trying to be a good listener, but also not being a wallflower and trying to contribute and over deliver, not just for the clients that I got, to work on, but for the people internally, all of that 
is what enabled me to to kind of start this career when I really had no background in it. Wow. I mean, it's really funny because our next question was about like three soft skills that you think our listeners should develop, but you pretty much just laid out like so much incredible advice about outreach, especially because I feel like a lot of students just kind of assume that big companies um, or, you know, medium to big companies, if they don't have internship tracks or even if they do, that they won't want to be open. Like if you send an email, they won't respond, which most of the time is not, I mean, okay, most of the time it could be accurate, but you'd be surprised. Yep. You kind of living proof that just a simple, I mean, it wasn't very simple for you. You had to go through a lot of steps, but just being open-minded enough to even do that and not immediately think that's going to be a negative reaction is, I think, huge. Industry. Yeah, I mean, your hit rate is not going to be great. You send 100, if 5 to 10 respond, that's probably success. But 5 to 10 people who you can spend some time with and learn from is great. And and one of the things you do at the end of those conversations, again, you don't ask, oh, can I have a job? Can I have an internship? You ask them, hey, based on what you heard from me about kind of my interests, is there anybody else in the industry you think I should meet or anybody you'd be willing to connect me with? And you start to build out that network. And just along the way, some people are very kindly going to say to you, you know, we have an internship program, you should apply. Or they're going to connect you with somebody and then you meet with them and then you see online that they have an internship or a job and you apply, but you also shoot them a note and be, say, you know, hey, I saw you guys had a, an opening. I, I just wanted to let you know I did apply. Uh, if you have any advice for me on navigating that process, I'd really appreciate it. Um, you'd, you'd be surprised how many people are willing to help, willing to be a mentor. Um, soft skills, the other things that I haven't talked about, I would say read as much as you can, both about the industry. I mean, I don't know if you guys have like student subscriptions to Sports Business Journal or Sportico or Front Office Sports. Uh, I'm partial to Sports Business Journal, um, but all three of those, read them all. Um, anything you can on the industry, be knowledgeable, be reading. And one of the great things about that is when you combine it with the networking and you see, oh, you know, I met with somebody at the Chicago Bears three months ago, and now I see a really interesting story about something they're doing. It's an excuse for, for you to reach out and say, hey, saw this story about you guys. Very cool. Um, and And if there's anything else you can add, as part of that, that would be a value add to them. You you do it, but um, I would also say follow and study the business world outside of sports if you can. Uh, and I know your hours aren't unlimited, but knowing what's happening with the economy, or knowing that there's a certain industry that is taking off, and trying to be knowledgeable about that, really going to serve you well. You don't have to force it, but just organically in your conversations, in your internships, in your first year at your first job, um, when you have that little extra bit of knowledge because you've been reading, because you've been following not just the sports industry, but the business world, um, it's just going to make you all that much more valuable. 
Um, and then I guess one last thing, if I'm if I'm trying to kind of consider the people I've seen that have really impressed me, really trying to diversify your skill set. And so maybe you don't really want to be somebody that's in the weeds with data and analytics. And obviously that's where my mind first goes, given that's the foundation of a lot of what we do. But even if that's not where you want your career to be, if you're able to either teach yourself or take a course uh, and have a little understanding of data and analytics and some of the programs that that get used, uh, a SQL or an R, um, that again is just going to make you stand out that much more. And maybe someday you're a team president, or you are the head of an agency, and you're in a conversation with a client or with your team or with your owner. And because once upon a time, you taught yourself a little bit about the data and analytics and in the weeds, you now know, hey, let's ask our business intelligence group to put this analysis together because that's going to help us answer this question. Um, the more you can learn and diversify that skill set, the more you can Again, ticketing is another example. Maybe you have no interest in working in the ticketing space, but guess what? Ticketing is like a crucial aspect of sports business. It doesn't work. The industry doesn't work if you don't sell tickets to the games. It also doesn't work if you don't have media rights deals. The more you can try to look around at these different key areas of the business and either teach yourself a skill or do enough reading that you can speak a little intelligently about these topics the more um the more you're going to stand out the more success i think you'll have yeah i think like knowledge in fact like as you learn as you find more about um you know ai and all these trends in the industry it opens doors so many doors in terms of conversations the quality of the conversations you can have when networking are is great and then on the other hand, it also allows you to employ those skills in, in the job. And in maybe you can find a job in a in a position that requires a more generalist knowledge of sports and having all these things in your toolkit, maybe not expert, you know, experience, but yeah. it helps you become a more holistic employee. Um calling out um, AI is really great, Marco, because how many of us are an expert on AI right now? Very, very few people. A lot of people will make you think that maybe they're an expert, but very few. And so like at Navigate, we have a task force right now that is trying to learn as much as they can to come to AJ and myself with recommendations on how we should incorporate AI into our business, whether it's making us more efficient internally or adding to the services we provide externally. But um, you all have the gift of youth um i am willing to bet you are able to understand and learn and pick up things like ai or really anything in the tech world and tech space uh faster than those of us who are a generation or two above you uh and that's going to be so incredibly valuable um and i also think the the understanding you all will intuitively have of your own generation and how 
it's consuming not just sports, but entertainment content and what resonates with you all versus what doesn't. I mean, we did like a syndicated study on Gen Z and we're trying to advise our clients on that. But I'd be lying if I didn't tell you that there are moments where we're talking about Gen Z and I am acutely aware of the fact that I am not Gen Z. And there was once upon a time for me where I could talk about millennials and feel really confident because I, I, I'm a, technically I'm a geriatric millennial, which is not a very flattering term, but um, I'm at the top end of the, the millennial range. But I mean, to be able to speak to how our industry engages Gen Z, how we incorporate tech, and even now, of course, AI more specifically, is so valuable. Um, crypto, not as much at the moment, but. But I think that's where data comes in, in terms of being so important to the way that you can connect much more with Gen Z is through the data, because there you can see the patterns and advise businesses how they should act to get new consumers in Gen Z or how to create ads that attract Gen Z audiences. So I think data helps create a bridge yep. between generations. Um, talking more about data, it's kind of like a term, at least when I first came to sport management, everyone was like, oh, I want to be data analytics, all that. I'm like, how do you even, what even is that? Like, I would love to hear your definition and how someone who completely has no idea about the field yeah. like how to kind of explore it and get into it without feeling super that they have to be techie or overwhelmed like how would you how do you help yeah i mean data is just a type of information is what i would tell you and it's information that is rooted hopefully in some sort of scientific method of extrapolating that information and so right you hear a lot about big data and the truth is like at Navigate, we almost never work with big data because those that's just massive amounts of data sets that require, you know, very sophisticated programs to analyze. And those are the types of things that like a massive corporation, you know, a um, think let's think of a brand who's a big uh, sponsor in sports, uh, like a Chase Bank, let's say, right? The people at Chase Bank are working with big data when it comes to analyzing their customers and informing what they do, at least on the B2C side, um, from a business perspective, from a marketing perspective. But when it comes to the world that we live in, so again, on the brand side, we're probably talking about sponsorship. We're looking at data that either comes from companies or, or vendors that are tracking social media engagement or tv viewership or d2c subscriptions uh very basic data like attendance um it's all of those types of data sets that again hopefully if it is something like social media it's something that is coming from a company that's created some sort of technology that's really sophisticated around scraping instagram or threads I'll, I'll try to be or, or Twitter or whatever, uh, TikTok, Snapchat, um, and that they've come up with a really sophisticated way to do that and then bring data to someone like us or to a team 
or a brand that we can then use, but this is much more targeted, smaller data sets that we are using for very specific reasons. And in, in our case, at least, right, the onus on making sure that is uh, really reputable, clean data that can be used is on the vendor we're paying. It's, it's not us. So even if, like you said, you're getting into this world and, and the idea of data sounds maybe like a very wide and deep uh, expertise to have to master, you really don't. Like if you want to go work for one of those companies or start one of those companies, then maybe you do. But if you're going to work for a big agency, a consultancy, or even if you're going to work for a, a team or a league, you're relying on those companies to be the ones that um, have extreme expertise in data and have the extreme, uh, God, how, I mean, I, I say this with great affection, but have, have the data, the army of data nerds, right? And they'll get you a data set that you don't need, you know, eight years of school to, to master. Um, it should be in a form that you can turn into something usable. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I, I guess the, the too long didn't read of that is there are lots of different levels to what data is and how it's used. And you should ensure that you're thinking about what kind of data will be useful in any problem or challenge or strategy that you're encountering in sports, but you don't have to be the one that's a master of it to that fifth or sixth level. And, you know, navigators in, in a period of time that they're really doing amazingly, like since the pandemic, um, like you performed greatly year over year in a moment where the economy, like in a macroeconomic level, it's not performing great. So what do you, what do you attribute that success to at Navigate? Yeah, I'd like to think it's two things. So the, the uh, dispassionate answer would be that our business is around problem solving and helping clients really overcome a challenge or craft a strategy when they can't necessarily just do it themselves. And I hate to say it, but when there are moments of instability uh, in the economy, when things are more uncertain, more difficult, the need for someone like us is actually even greater. And so uh, I think in 2020, we, like everybody else in March and April, were thinking, okay, what is this going to mean for our business? This shutting down the sports industry. How much is this potentially going to harm us? But I think we very quickly realized um, that, that the second part of this answer that I mentioned earlier, uh, relationships are absolutely crucial. They're crucial at all times, but in these moments where, yeah, there are there could be economic difficulties or, I mean, a pandemic, right? 
many, many problems in that type of unprecedented situation for everybody. Um, if there are problems that need to be solved, and now even more so than ever, and you have built trust with a lot of people in the industry, those people are going to call you. And that's what happened for us. And we were very, you know, it was, we were very fortunate that as a result, the pandemic and then the economy in the year since has not hurt us at all. Uh, I think you could argue it's even helped us in a way, which I feel a little guilty saying, because I know it's been tough on a lot of people with furloughs and layoffs and uh, hopefully things are continuing to bounce back. But um, yeah, I, I would say we were well positioned, unlike most, to withstand and even thrive in the last few years. And um, I also think that um, the fact that a lot of teams, a lot of leagues, well, and I'm talking like leagues on a smaller scale and teams, even big teams, don't have a mark like a marketing department or a department that's de dealing completely with data and analytics. Um, so they need to replace what they could possibly have with a huge change in staffing by hiring an outside firm that can help them, you know, add value and compensate for what they lack. And with all the insights that you have of ex years of experience, then you can help them like through this economic period, because you see it in a lot of sports and teams that are underperforming in, on the business side. And it takes a couple of tweaks and maybe a project from Navigate to completely, you know, get them back on, on the right path. Uh, Margo just said the buzzword of my question I was going to ask, but I was going to ask about, I don't know if you would consider the COVID era kind of a project, but I'm curious about if there have been any like projects that navigate that you've really been most interested in. Again, I don't know exactly how how the company works yeah. as Marco does, but however you can interpret that question would be great. Yeah, I mean, some of our favorite, you know, th there are projects that are engagements. We kind of use those two words a lot in engagement. We think of as more when we have, there are a lot of different components of different kind of projects within the relationship we have with a client. But um, a few that stand out for me, uh, all right, the Milwaukee Bucks, my hometown team hired us seven years ago when they were first starting to look at moving into a new arena and wanted a lot of help with what that would mean for their partnerships, uh, whether it was naming rights, uh, entitlements of suite areas, but you know the full rate card, every single asset. And so that was a kind of initial project that we did with them. And that is um, a great example where I think we were able to have an impact right off the bat, but also build a lot of trust and ask a lot of good questions and learn more about what their needs were as they were really completely revolutionizing that organization. Um, and they are still a client seven years later, um, one championship later, which again, we're on the business side, so I can't take any credit for that, but it was still pretty cool. Um, Another that I'd call out is uh, the SEC, so the Southeastern Conference. They've been a client for uh, four years now, and uh, 
we're doing a variety of things for them, but one of those has been helping them evaluate different scheduling models uh, as they add and incorporate Texas and Oklahoma. So if you're going from 14 to 16 members and you're um, trying to decide what kind of scheduling model should we implement, uh, there are dozens and dozens of different uh, ways you can go. And we've evaluated all of them and really learned what their priorities are and worked hand in hand with them to uh, analyze those on a host of different metrics and the impact those models would have. And um, they are one of the best led organizations I think we've ever worked with in sports. Their commissioner, Greg Sankey, their COO, Charlie Hussey, uh, Mark Womack on their team who's like the dean of the sec and and um they're just top to bottom a great organization and so getting to work on that but then also see the impact of it when they announce their 2024 schedule live on the sec network and then twitter is just covered in reaction to it and you're realizing that you know millions and millions of fans are impacted by some of the work that you've done and contributed to. It's just fun. It's rewarding. Um, and then I'll give you one more um, example. Um, I think doing work around D to C. And so um, we've had really two big clients from Major League Baseball um, where they wanted to look at, okay, things are changing. If we want to go direct to consumer, what does that look like? And really working with them on, okay, let's go do some custom market research in your territory on this market and your fan base and the people who watch you now and the people who say they love you, but can't watch you actually, because they cut the cord and they no longer have access to your games. Um, that work is really interesting and stimulating. And again, I think really impactful because those teams are now using that work to inform their decision-making on those DSC offerings. And I think we all know that um, in the not too distant future, we're all gonna be streaming games more, much more than we are clicking on, you know, the, the cable bundle that people my, of my generation are used to. So. I could go on and on, and I hope some of those were interesting. I don't know, Marco, if you've heard us talk about any other uh, clients or projects that I should have called out. But um, again, the beauty of the agency world, getting to work with many different types of clients on many different types of projects, uh, you never get bored. And like circling back to what you said about working at Navigate, the fact that it makes you feel the like the impact that you're having on the industry is not just looking at it, but having an impact and looking at the changes, looking on social media after an announcement is made. That is something that's so rewarding for both extrinsically and intrinsically motivated people. So that's something that's always great to see. And and I felt it working at Navigate, how the, the whole culture is based on goal setting, achieving. And at the same time, enjoying the work that you do with the people that you enjoy to spend time with, even remotely. Um, so that's something that's I, I I'm sure it traces back to the leadership of the company. And um, thank you so much for I mean, for like letting us 
into like us like interns and also like our listeners like talk with you and, and learn from you in that way well i appreciate you saying that marco and and yeah it it's not just leadership it's really everybody at the company right like we all buy into our core values and we all um we all really i think view it as a all for one and one for all type team atmosphere and i mentioned earlier that when i first started the ability to like have my fingerprints on where the company went was really appealing to me 13 plus years ago and i'd like to think that in fact i know that's still the case because we have people of every level having an impact for our clients but also having an impact on where we go and the work we win and what we focus on and what we learn and how we make ourselves better and so um it really is a special unique place i think and uh, it was fun to have you a part of it during your internship and it's fun for me to sit here and and talk about it um and uh, you know jack Petridis on our team uh is a umass alum and i know he loves that program and i think that's how we found you marco and i'm hoping we continue to have kind of a steady pipeline with you guys um so far uh we're two for two and um one question that we always ask at the end well actually there's two questions coming in but the, uh, one of them is what is one question you wish we would we would have asked you throughout the, the interview and how would you have answered it well that's not a question i wish you would have asked me because it's hard uh what do i wish you would have asked me um hmm. I wish you would have asked me if I could go back and do it all over again, what would I change? Because I do think like I said everything has worked out better than I could have ever hoped. But as much as I just told you the importance of networking and how that helped me transition, once I had kind of made that transition, I would say in the first half of my career at Navigate, I was so laser focused on the work I was doing and delivering great work for the clients I had that I didn't do enough of that networking within the industry with people that weren't at the clients I was working on. Or, you know, I would go to conferences and that would allow me to network. And I thought that was kind of enough. And I would run into people and, or we'd even do some outreach and I'd have a coffee with somebody. And, you know, to me, that was continuing to network. But I think I should have still been thinking who are 10 people this year or who are 100 people this year that we're not working with now that I might not run into a conference who I would love to meet and I would love to pick their brain. I think I got complacent in the importance of the networking that I have been talking about kind of over and over here. So um, if you'd ask me one thing that I would kind of do differently that that would have been 
that would have been it. And I hope people listening now, if they take my advice on on the networking you can do right now, I would then also hope they would learn from that mistake I made and not get complacent and not let up once you're working and once you're in the industry. And the other thing is, um, if you want to see Jeff's uh, journalism skills, you can listen to the Navigating Sport Sport Business podcast, where he and AJ Maestas talk with a lot of industry leaders, some really good episodes, some really great hosts from the business side and some much more from the uh, college side. And there's some from the big like team and league side. So that's one way to follow Jeff. But what are other ways to follow your, your work? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think me specifically is not necessarily what I want to answer, but I would say that like navigate as a whole, we have our team. Uh, I mentioned Jack Petridis, our, our UMass alum, but Julie Angel, Rachel Bernardo, uh, Matt Zajac, um, those folks are doing such a good job with our thought leadership and our marketing. And if you follow Navigate on LinkedIn, I'm sure you will see content that is interesting. Uh, we have a newsletter, the Navigate Insider, that is like, honestly, it lands in my inbox and half the stuff in there I didn't even know we were going to be doing. And I'm like, wow, this is so great. Um, so please sign up for that. And then, um, you know, individually, I think there aren't that many of us. So following us, members of our team, also like on LinkedIn and even reaching out to members of our team. And as I've been advising, seeing if whether it's a cup of coffee or maybe it's a half hour on Zoom, um, picking picking the brains of the many, many really smart and talented people we have. Um, yeah, I think there's so much more to engage with and consume from Navigate now compared to five years ago. It blows my mind. So uh, that's a great question, Marco. I appreciate you asking it. I hope all of the folks at UMass and all your listeners even beyond will do some of that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's been an awesome interview. It's been awesome to get to know you during the summer. So it's not like I just met you, but having a <laughs> conversation, um, it's like a full circle moment because I, I do feel like I've been working with you, but now I get mm-hmm. to ask, I get to network with you for one more hour, which is also great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I really appreciate you having me on. I, I hope some of this was helpful. I hope uh, I'm a continually a resource to both of you and even beyond uh, people listening. And I also think what you guys are doing here is awesome, like really cool. This would be another thing, man. If I could do it all over again and and back when I was uh, getting my master's do something like this, uh, I guess podcasts weren't quite as big as they are now 13 years ago, but um, it's, I imagine, fun for you both, but also really useful for your peers uh, and for the industry. And so uh, a massive kudos to both of you for doing this. Very cool. Thank you so much. It's it's like learning without paying for tuition. That's how I see it. <laughs> oh, my God.
Okay, for the Women's World Cup, since I'm also a woman, I must know a lot about it, right? Exactly. The FIFA Women's World Cup kicked off last week and Australia and New Zealand has since produced upsets and dramatic late wins, as New Zealand usually does with historical events. Some of the matches that made the headlines recently were the USA beating Vietnam 3-0 thanks to two goals from Sophia Smith, and that's Margaret Sester's name, Sophia, by the way, and a late goal by Lindsay Horan. That's Niall Horan's last name. Vietnam registered zero shots in the whole game, so USA goalkeeper Alyssa Neher had a day off. That's really cool. You know, this is my this is my favorite event to ever take part, like between the US and Vietnam. This might be the best one so far. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Especially because the go man, I would never want to be a goalkeeper, but she got a free ride that day. That's oh yeah, but like in a historical context, this was yeah. much better than past encounters. Yeah, geez. Well, England, on the other hand, <laughs> scraped off a 1-0 victory against Heidi thanks to a penalty by Georgia Stanway. Is she American? Wait, no. She's English. No, she's English. I was going to say that. It's like, well, it's funny because it's an American name. Like, George, like, okay, English last name. Anyway. Talking about this. Yeah, because there's a state in the U.S. called Georgia. Yeah, I also just realized that the Georgia state came from a European country. country, so maybe it's not American. I'm just so Americanized that I just assumed. Sorry. You're the most Americanized European I know. Thanks, yeah. Appreciate You're like pure blood European. Like, like you have no American in you except your birth. Facts. Yeah, that's true. But does anybody? Because we're all from... Well, you, you would have to go like just like Native Americans to find like, but right. then again, they came from somewhere else. Like they, like all humans originated from Africa. So true. like, okay, we're not going to dive deep okay, into no, no, realities, but um, what else happened in the world? Um, Jamaica managed to hold off France for a zero to zero draw. <laughs> That's kind of, uh, and Germany destroyed Morocco six to zero destroyed. That's pretty predictable considering Germany's history. Just kidding. <laughs> Last night, the Philippines beat hosts New Zealand one to zero against the Owls. That's really cool, actually. I I would have assumed that. Well, actually, I both based off so based off my logic, I guessed the World Cup wins because one of them was an island, and one of them wasn't, and so the players with more land to practice on won. I was right. So with Philippines and Morocco, I mean, Philippines and New Zealand, since they're both kind of watery, I would have assumed it would be equal, but yeah, so I guess it's kind of equal, one to zero, but I wouldn't say that's against the odds. I would say they're kind of matched up, would you, would you not? Not in terms of like the rankings in like FIFA, because the Philippines were ranked last as like the least likely team to win the World Cup. This was their first ever win at like a major tournament in soccer. So you know what? They overperformed performed the odds. But um yeah, it's like a major upset because New Zealand were playing at home. Like true. True. Like, That's kinda of bad. Yeah. Like disappoint it's like imagine like you're climbing in front of all your friends. Like 
if I go to watch one of your climbing competitions when the UMass gym opens, and you're gonna be, be like feeling all the pressure, like, oh yeah, I gotta perform. If not, Mark is gonna like destroy me on the next podcast episode. Um, then you feel the pressure, and then you like fall off like the climbing yeah. thing. Yeah, your home gym. It is kind of embarrassing to lose to be to do bad at a comp that's at your home gym. So I could see their frustration. Yeah. In men's football, um, the Saudi Pro League continues to snatch talent from Europe's top leagues as they look to seal a transfer for Sadio Mane from Bayern Munich for 40, millions, uh, 40 million euros. They're gonna go, he wants to go to Al Nasser, I think. Okay. And I think there's a large probability it's going to be sealed by the end of the weekend. Um, and then Mbappe. Um, so Saudi Arabian club, Al Hilal, they've offered 700 million for one year to Kylian Mbappe from PSG. Um, he is under contract with PSG one more year. At, as a matter of fact, if he stays until the 1st of August, he's going to receive a bonus of 60 million. So he's not going to want to negotiate anything until then. But um, yeah, Al Hilal, um, they're offering PSG 300 million euros and then 700 million uh, euros to Mbappe for one year of playing. And then he can go for free to Real Madrid. So it might all work out in the worst way for the world. Mbappe might go to the Saudi league and that's the end of it's end game. Yeah. That's end game. That's like the end of football as we know it, because when you see the most desired, one of the most desired players choose money over you know, playing for a big club in a big league, you know, money, you know, wins in that sense. And lastly, Harry Kane, um, Bayern Munich want to sign Harry Kane this year. Apparently they're talking about some around a hundred million with Tottenham. Uh, Harry Kane has one year left of his contract. So if he finishes off the season at Tottenham, then he's available on a free. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's see where it goes. Still, I think only negotiations have been held according to ESPN and Fabrizio Romano, who's the major source in transfers, but it's still developing. Um, in basketball, a new record is about to be broken given that Jalen Brown from the Celtics has agreed a five-year deal extension with the Celtics, uh, $304 million Supermax extension. So that's over the five years. So it's nowhere near the Mbappe sums, by the way. Still, that's crazy. What will you do with that money, Molly? Dude, I just, I'd get fast food more than once, twice a week, probably. You would probably fly to Europe just to eat McDonald's there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's what I did. I did do that. <laughs> um, well, hockey. You're the, one, you're the one person money wouldn't change. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> I don't think I, I just forget that there's money in there. Um. Anyway, a hockey headline that will resonate in the hearts of UMass students is the retirement of Boston Bruins captain Patrice Bergeron. I cannot tell if that is a man or a woman. I apologize. It's a man. It's a Bruins. Okay. <laughs> but Patrice. Um, you know, it's, it, you know, it's sad when, uh, when somebody posts, um, like on their Instagram story, they post the same post twice about him retiring. Shout out yeah. to my friend, Dan Pollock, who just did that. I think he was just devastated by this news and I called him out on it. I was like, dude, is it so sad that you're posting it twice? Yeah. I think my hate on his like Instagram kind of like affected him and my friend mm -hmm. deleted the post. 
Oh, Marco. No, he deleted one of them. He said he did it by mistake. Apparently, it wasn't just like grief that made him repost the same thing twice. Oh. <laughs> um, and lastly, Formula One. So Verstappen won again. I think it's becoming like a podcast routine where we're like, yeah, Verstappen won. But yeah, this is his seventh race in a in a, in a row. Like, I bet he's not gonna win next time. I bet you one item from the UMass Bakery if he doesn't win next time. Okay, deal. Yeah. Um, yeah, because Red Bull recorded like 12 consecutive wins in a row. That's Verstappen's seventh in a row. And then Lando Norris uh, secured second place and Checo Perez got third after a rough batch of not finishing in the podium. And the funny thing is that Norris, who won second place, he does like a like in Formula One when you win, you get to pop champagne and then like spray it on your on the other people on the podium and on the crowd. He does this thing that he pops it by like hitting it on the ground, but he hit it on the podium and then the trophy for first place that Verstappen won fell down and, and cracked. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, that was fun. Oh, um, but yeah, you know, that's the recap. And well, thank you guys for joining us on this episode. Um, go watch Oppenheimer. I watched it. I'm a changed man after watching it. You after, haven't seen Barbie yet. I haven't seen Barbie yet. No, I haven't. Um, but yesterday I watched an Italian movie at night. Like it's called Il Postino. Um, so if you're into foreign cinema, watch that. It's one thing about Italian movies is that they have this thing that American movies don't have, and it's they really focus on creating that bittersweet ending much more in Americans you see like happily ever after blockbuster go eat some McDonald's afterwards like movies it's like everybody's happy at the end they maybe like an 80s dancing but you never see that with Italian movies they're they're much more pure and artistic so go watch Il Postino um it's on YouTube illegally um they posted like a year ago I watched it on YouTube HD but if you don't know Italian watch it with subtitles yeah, obviously. <laughs> but yeah, okay. Amali's gonna go watch Oppenheimer right now, and I literally have to go to the theater before they all get bankrupt. So next next episode, we're probably gonna review it at the end. <laughs> yeah, I definitely will. I'll Ooh. see you guys. All right. Bye.